0: Hello, and welcome to the Her Head and Films podcast. I'm your host. My name is Caitlin. This is a podcast in which I share my personal musings on cinema. If you've never listened before, you might be wondering who I am. As I said, my name is Caitlin. Basically, I'm a writer, I'm a dreamer, I love literature, I love art and I really love cinema I'm like I have a mad furious passion for cinema art house cinema foreign cinema and um so this podcast is a way for me to share my love of films um I created this podcast because I live in a, a very rural area in the south um in the United States I don't really um I don't really have anyone to share my thoughts about films. Um, I also have a book podcast because uh, literature is a big uh, part of my life as well, and I'll put the description of um, the um, the link to that in the description. But um, yeah, I don't have an art house cinema where I live. Um, I barely have a bookstore where I live, so I don't have that sort of culture around me. So. I needed an outlet to talk about these films that sort of consume me and and haunt me and so that's why I created this podcast if you're wondering about the title the title comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago and I was really obsessed with movies at the time but what's new and um and I said my head isn't in the clouds my head is in films it was it was just something I wrote in the moment you know as a joke I guess you know and it's just something that sort of has stayed with me since then and when I was thinking about starting this podcast I started this podcast in the hellscape of 2016 um I'm pretty sure I started it last year Hm. I think so um and so what was I gonna say Maybe I started it this year. I can't remember now. Um, I've done about 12 episodes so far. And um, so when I was thinking about starting the podcast, I thought about that line. You know, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And so it seemed like the perfect way to sum up how I feel about cinema and, and how I'm sort of always thinking about it, how it's always on my mind how it really imprints itself upon the mind and these images these stories so um, yeah I mean that's the backstory I guess it's sort of long-winded but I just wanted you to have as much information as you could and um, today's episode I'm gonna be talking about my favorite film by my favorite director and that film is The Double Life of Veronique by Polish director Krzysztof Kieślowski and I re-watched the film last night I watched it originally in 2011 when I started to discover and explore art house cinema and um, it was a revelation for me it was life-changing there is who I was before this film and who I was after I usually try to watch it once a year if not more And so I did watch it last night. And so I'm going to talk about that. And um, so I will get to that in a moment. First, I uh, I like to start the podcast with just talking about more general, personal things about my life. It's just something that I like to do. So I want to talk about why I watched the film last night, because this is sort of, this film sort of becomes a lifeline for me at certain moments in my life. And yesterday, let me look at the date, I don't even know what date it is most of the time. Today's April 28th, 2017. I watched it last night, so April 27th. And um, I've been, I've been struggling lately. Although what's new, I sort of am always struggling in life. In the previous podcast where I talked about Such I Jet raised The Big City, if you've listened to that episode, if not, you can listen to it if you would like, Um, I talked about how I have trouble living outside of art. And by that I mean that I love reading books, I love watching films, but there is a point where those end. You know, a book begins and it ends, a film begins and it ends. And you have to find a way to navigate life in between art, in between your experiences of art. And so I find, you know, having to live in those spaces, the space where I have to be in the world, I find that really difficult. And I struggle with mental illness like anxiety and depression that stems from the death of my father um, in 2006 when I was sixteen years old that really exacerbated a lot of my depression and anxiety because it was such a catastrophic event and I was very close to him and loved him very much and I think when you're a teenager it's just you're not fully formed you're this very inchoate being and you're not sure who you are and you and it's just you don't have the means to cope you just don't especially if you don't have a lot of money and you don't have access to resources like i didn't i mean you know therapy wasn't an option for me i had no help really i still don't and um you know when you're poor the world just doesn't care about your problems and the world doesn't care about your pain and so you find a way To just survive the best that you can. I also struggle with chronic pain. Chronic health issues. Once again. Not having money. I don't have any kind of access to. To find relief. From those things. So. I just survive the best way I can. And often my survival mechanism is books. Or it's films. Or it's music. You know or something like that. And so. So. It's very difficult to live in this world, and I've always said this, I've always felt this, that I don't fit in the world, this world was not made for someone like me, I am not going to make it, I cannot make it in this world, I am too sensitive, I am too tender, (laughs) I am just too, I'm too dreamy, I guess you could say in a way, and so I feel really crushed at times by certain burdens like having to have an income and having to make find a way to make money and financial issues and financial stress and worries and those things really weigh on me and they're very difficult for me to cope with because in our society in capitalism and throughout the world your worth and your value is connected to how much you produce and whether you can make money and whether you can hold down a job and of course some of us are not able-bodied and some of us are some of us struggle to do those things and nobody cares you know you you still have to live with it you still have to find a way to survive and i just feel that crushing pressure all the time and that worry and that stress and you know so I was feeling that in particular yesterday and you know probably for the last week or so or you know I just get I get really broken down and really just it's hard you know it's really really hard you might can hear it in my voice the just the way it wears me down and how I just feel so you know empty sometimes and and um, I don't know what to do but I do my best and so yesterday I just felt like I needed a film that was gonna sort of give me life again and so I I immediately thought of the double life of Veronique I thought well I'd like to explore this further I'd like to you know I would like to watch the film again because I hadn't seen it in a while I don't know if I watched it last year I mean I try to watch it every year but I don't know if I actually do um, so let's talk about the film I recently I got a sub- I started a subscription to a new streaming site and it's called Filmstruck it's a partnership between Turner Classic Movies and the Criterion Collection for those of you outside the US uh, the Turner Classic Movies is a television channel here in the States, and um, it shows classic and foreign cinema uh, commercial free So it's a TV channel that is pretty important to a lot of cinephiles like me, and um, it's, it's often sort of the first way that people encounter classic films, maybe like Hitchcock. Um, or, I mean, I don't think it shows a lot of world cinema. I didn't really discover world cinema as much through Turner Classic Movies. But I certainly did fall in love with movies through the channel. And and saw a lot of important films that um had an impact on me. One of which was The Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore Dreyer. And, um... What else... I love "Brief Encounter" by David Lean. I remember watching that, and they always had these great introductions by the late Robert Osborne, who was a very beloved person. And I hate that he's gone. That made me really, really sad, because he was a really important part of my childhood. And and I, I used to have a when I was a kid, I had a TV in my room, and I would I would have the TV on at night, and I would often go to sleep with the sounds of classic cinema, you know. And, would bathe my room in in that television light and um so that's a good memory really now that i think about it and so they're part of this site and then the Criterion collection which is a just dis- i believe it is a distribution company for a lot of classic and international world cinema and um it's a pretty prestigious you know distribution company so they've partnered up to do filmstruck and if you want both of them together it's i think it's like 1099 um if you just want filmstruck which is the turner classic movie side i think it's seven or eight ninety nine i don't know um but um it's a really great site I don't say that as because I'm being paid to or told to or I, I don't get anything. I mean, Filmstruck doesn't know who I am, okay? <laughs> I, I'm nobody. Um, I'm just telling you a service that I use and that if you're in the U.S., it might interest you. I think for that 10.99 you get a lot. You don't just get these films. With the Criterion Collection and also with the TCM side of Filmstruck, you're getting the, the extras, you're getting the documentaries, you're getting interviews, you're getting specials, and that's what I got with The Double Life of Veronique. I mean, I haven't gone through all of the stuff yet, but it was really, really amazing. It's all the the extras that you get with these different films. If you like your Tarkovsky, if you like your Ingmar Bergman, if you like your Robert Bresson, or your Godard, or your Truffaut, or your Jean Renoir this is the website you need to have because Netflix, Hulu, I don't think they're anywhere near what they should be when it comes to foreign and classic films. I mean, I don't even think they try at this point. I mean, there's some okay films on Netflix and Hulu. I'm not putting it down completely, but it's not where something like Filmstruck is. If you are really passionate about art house cinema, I don't know how you cannot use the website if you have the means if you have the money to do that it's a great investment I mean I used to get DVDs in the days before the internet I used to go to Blockbuster like in the early 2000s and they would have a special like four or five DVDs for twenty dollars and that's how I would I built up my DVD collection and um I loved the, I loved to get the DVDs that had like the special features like the audio commentary or the little documentaries like I had a DVD of Sophie's Choice that had a um, documentary that had like interviews with Meryl Streep and Kevin Klein and William Styron who wrote the book Sophie's Choice um, that the film was based on. I loved that stuff I ate it up. I love all that extra stuff and all that behind-the-scenes information that you get. So, Filmstruck's been kind of a dream come true for me. And, um, you know, I'm, I've, I've already got like 50 films in my watch list. It's already out of control. <laughs> like, I don't even know where to start at this point. Um, I don't even know what to do. I feel a little bit overwhelmed with it, but, um, okay. I'm I'm going on tangents I know but um so why do I love this film why do I turn to this film what is this film about you know so many questions that I'm sure you would like me to answer um so the backstory is I'm 27 by the way I'm not I'm not a spring chicken or anything I mean 27 I I don't. I don't know how to deal with aging. It's hard, um, but I started getting really interested in art house cinema and foreign cinema in two thousand eleven. So I was what? Oh God, I was like twenty one. I was in college. Um, a, a person that I met through Tumblr, um, a really nice girl who I th- is Polish she's from Poland, her parents are Polish. I I think I asked her. I was starting... I had seen Chris Marcos' La Jetée and I got really interested in foreign film, and I was like, ooh, I like this film. A few years earlier, I had seen The Passion of Joan of Arc by Carl Theodore Dreyer. That is one of my favorite films, and it was absolutely my obsession. But I didn't have the internet at that time. That was pre-2011, pre-2010. So I didn't... I, got, I loved The Passion of Joan of Art but I didn't necessarily have any way to access foreign films or foreign cinema, but in 2011, I had a laptop. I had access more to the internet, and, and um, at the time the Criterion Collection was on Hulu, and so I got more interested in foreign films, and I think I just asked her, or, or something. I was like, you know, what are some films that you recommend? She seemed to be someone who was really knowledgeable about French cinema and about, you know, different, you know, world cinema. And she mentioned The Double Life of Veronique by Krzysztof So I was like, okay. I think it was on Hulu at the time. Or maybe I have found it on YouTube. Who knows? Had never heard of this person, this Kishlowski, Who Who is this? Well... I watched the film. I am blown away. I don't even know how to describe it. But as I said before, this there is who I was before this film and who I was after, because this was in the embryonic stage of me watching art house cinema, the very early stages. I think later I would go on to see La Ventura, which is a huge major movie for me as well. But the double life of Veronique was crucial so what is this film about this film is about two women it's about the sort of the first third of the film is about a girl named Veronika who lives in Poland she's an opera singer she has a heart condition and while she's singing she ends up dying the last two-thirds of the film are about Veronique young woman lives in France is a music teacher they are played by the same actress Irene Jacob they both look alike these women obviously and yet they're in different countries they've never met they don't know each other and yet they sense one another they sense that the other exists um, At one point at the beginning of the film, Veronika is talking to her father and says, I have this strange feeling like I'm not alone in the world. She senses that this Veronique, this doppelganger, this woman that looks like her and has a similar life to her, exists. And when Veronika dies, Veronique is in the middle of making love with her boyfriend. And all of a sudden she becomes sad and she says, all she says I feel I don't know why but I feel like I'm in grief I feel like I'm grieving so they sense one another that's sort of the gist of the film there's a lot of there's other things that happen but there's not necessarily an elaborate plot the thing about you say I'm struggling to even talk about the film the thing about Kishlovsky's cinema and a little bit of background on Kozlowski he was a Polish director he was from Poland he did the Decalogue in the late 1980's which I have an episode about the Decalogue which was a 10-part TV series and each episode was loosely based on the Ten Commandments Um, in the 1990's he made Veronique and he made something called the Three Colors Trilogy and each film red white and blue Represented a color in the French flag, liberty, égalité, fraternité. He's very well known for those films and he has influenced and impacted a huge amount of filmmakers. He died, I think, in 1996 from a heart attack. I think he was only in his 50s. But he is an important director. He's considered an alter, a genius, you know. And so Veronique is very much a transitional film for him because in the late 1980s he does the Decalogue. Before the Decalogue, he did very hard-hitting social realist documentaries about the conditions that people lived under in communist Poland. But at some point, he can no longer do that. He doesn't want to make those documentaries anymore anymore feels like he's exploiting people through them he, he just doesn't want anything to do with it anymore so he does the decalogue in 88 89 and that airs on Polish television and is quite popular but then in the 90s with the three colors trilogy he will his films will be based outside of Poland he will eventually leave Poland uh, to make these films and Veronique is sort of in between that period So you have Veronika, who's in Poland, and then you have Veronique, who's in France. And, um, why does this film mean so much to me? You know, I, yesterday when I was feeling sad, and, you know, I still feel sad. I always feel sad, really, to some extent. When you go through certain kinds of grief and trauma and loss, there's something in you that's forever changed you can never really be the person that you were before and so you just somehow you find a way to continue i mean some people don't some people can't but some people have have to find a way to live and um... i feel really grateful that i've discovered art house cinema or world cinema because I feel like this has become something life-affirming and something life sustaining for me and you know when Veronika says that at the beginning she says I feel like I'm not alone in the world well for me it's cinema cinema itself makes me feel like I'm not alone in the world it makes me feel like there's other people out there who maybe understand because when you watch a director's work when you watch Bresson when you watching Mar Bergman when you watch Kishlovsky, when you watch Agnes Varda or Andrea Arnold when you watch these people and they are reflecting something about your life or something about your experience or something that you've thought or struggled with that does make you feel less alone. That does make you feel like there's somebody else that understands your struggle and understands I mean, of course these stories that are made are very specific in one way. But they that doesn't mean they can't resonate and connect with people outside their countries. Out you know. I think Kishlovsky talked about this. There's um there's a documentary on Filmstruck. About the making of the double life of Veronique. And I haven't watched it yet. Um, I want to. But I did see the first few minutes. And he says you know. I made these films about Poland. Made these films about Polish people. In a Polish society. With very Polish problems. You know. Within a certain context. of, of Of Poland. But he said. That they were able to be universal in a way. That. There were people outside of Poland who watched the Decalogue, and watched some of his films, or like Blind Chance. I really like Blind Chance, which is which explores the three different fates that a man could have had, based on whether he had caught a train or not. So, Kishlovsky himself recognized that, even though he was making stories about Polish people, that some of the themes and some of the things that he was exploring could connect to other people outside of that particular culture and that's something that I talked about in my previous podcast about um, Sachajit Ray's The Big City where this is a very specific story about an Indian family it's about a woman, a housewife um, who because of her family's financial troubles has to go out and get a job and how her getting a job affects her family and how it affects her and it was made in 1963 so it's a film about class it's a film about you know family it's it's a film about a lot of things and um even though it takes place in India and it's about an Indian family there are parts of it that you can connect to. And of course I don't want to universalize everything, you know. As I talked about in the previous episode, there's this great, you know, essay that I read recently about Moonlight, Barry Jenkins's film, and how, you know, she was critiquing the way in which people try to say that the film is universal and how by saying it's universal you can erase the very specific issues in the film about you know, racism, homophobia, poverty, and so on, and I think that's an important argument, but at the same time, I do think there are these films that are made all around the world, you know, recently I watched a film that was set in Singapore that was really about class, it was called "Elo Ilo by Anthony Chin, and it's about this Filipino maid that goes to work for a family in Singapore, and and the dynamics of that, and so it's very much about class, and And so these stories are set in very specific worlds and very specific cultures. But they reach beyond that sometimes. Or you find something in them that's very interesting and makes you see your life differently. So um, I think that's really important. It's an important part of it. But um, how do I talk about the double life of Veronique in this film? Kishlovsky has really created a, a cinematic language to talk about things that are not easily expressible, to talk about things like intuition, to talk about things like fate, to talk about things like feeling and emotion and spirituality and something mystical. And I was lucky enough to watch the film last night with audio commentary. And the audio commentary... Um, let me look at my notes. The audio commentary is by was by um, Annette Ensdorf, and she actually knew Kishlovsky. She translated for him at times when he was maybe at a film festival or doing a, an interview. She wrote a book about him. You can probably search for it on uh, Amazon. Annette Ensdorf. I-N-S-D-O-R-F and she did this exquisite commentary of this film that gave me sort of a whole new perspective and she shared all kinds of tidbits and like facts and like factoids that I didn't know and um, so that was a really great experience to learn more about Kishlovsky. and so and she talked a lot about this, about how it's it's about it Kishlovsky is considered sort of a I guess a spiritual director, a mystical director. The themes that he deals with are metaphysical. And like I said, he often deals with things that are beyond the scientific, beyond the empirical. And um and that's a hard thing to talk about. Like his films really have to be experienced. They have to be seen. Because he's doing things with cinema itself. With the imagery. And it's a sort of poem, in a way. When you watch it. And um, he's, he has these repetitions. He has these symbols that recur throughout the film. He has these colors that recur throughout the film. You know, there's things like mirrors and windows. And... Um, you know both veronica and uh, veronique um use lip balm for instance and there's str- a string of different things that connects them so there's all these that's the imagery really that's what connects it all and so in that way you really have to watch it for yourself but um both of these women do not have mothers their mothers died when they were young i guess and they only have their fathers and so their fathers are very much a part of the film a bit and um see i'm like totally struggling to talk about this film because it's it's one that you have to watch and so what do i want to say about this film Insdorf tells the story in the audio commentary of a 15 year old girl who I'm not sure if she spoke to Kishlovsky or she wrote to Kishlovsky about the double life of Veronique, but she told him that the film made her believe that there could be something called a soul. And I think that pretty much sums up the way I feel about this film is that when you watch it, the the questions that it raises the way that it makes you feel there's a magic about this film and it it is art in that way for me because it, there is something transcendent about it it does make you wonder if we have a soul like i used to say this about tori amos's music like i used to like write this i don't know if i've ever told anyone it but I used to like, write in my journal or whatever about Tori Amos, who I love. She's a singer, singer-songwriter. She's very well-known in the 90s. I don't know if people know of her as much now, but this, she's my everything. She's, like, my number one singer, like, that I listen to. It's, it's her. She is my goddess, and I also love Cat Power, and, you know, she's up there, too. Cat Power and Tori Amos are my everything, but, um... I used to say that Tori Amos made me believe that there could be a God because this woman is so otherworldly and she's so ethereal and she taps into something that is beyond this world. I always felt that way about Tori Amos, especially the albums she put out in the 1990s, like Little Earthquakes, Under the Pink, from the Choir Girl Hotel, those especially, and the B-sides and, some of those songs that she was creating. And I would say the same for Kishlovsky. I would say that his films, especially Veronique, but you could also say it about Blue, or Three Colors Blue, or Three Colors Red, or even Decalogue. These films make you feel like there could be something beyond the visible. That there could be something beyond what you are seeing beyond the rational beyond the explicable and they deal with themes of fate and chance and the unseen connections between people and how we are interconnected with one another because there is a scene in the double life of Veronique where Veronika and Veronique meet and Veronika is the only one that sees it Um, Veronique the French one is on a bus she's in Krakow and I guess she's touring Krakow as a tourist you know and she has her camera out and she takes this picture and she doesn't even realize that she's taking a picture of Veronika. it's just in this area where there's a lot of people and she doesn't even recognize or realize the moment when it's happening that she has encountered her doppelganger right and so but Veronika does veronica sees her and um she sees this woman that looks just like her and she's just sort of frozen and amazed by it and that's the only time these two women come in contact with each other and so you know i think Kishlovsky is asking questions about identity and about connection i mean you know when there's all there's so many scenes in the film where there's windows that reflect either Veronica or Veronique's image, their faces, there are mirrors they'll look in the mirror. I feel like he's asking questions about identity about what would it mean if there was somebody that looked like us that had a similar life to us? what if we're not as unique as we like to think that we are you know um, I've always been interested in this idea of the doppelganger I still remember years ago I read about it in a book I think it was a book about ghost stories or something and I don't know I just learned this this term doppelganger I was like what what is this what is this doppelganger and then it really started to fascinate me like what if there was this girl in some other part of the world that looked like me, that talked like me, that we had never met, and yet we are similar? And something that has obsessed me in, I guess, the last few years, or maybe even since my father died, is this idea of what if I met someone that looked like my father? You know, what What would I do? how would that affect me it wouldn't be him but it would look like him and you think of how attached you are to the way people look you know i mean we love people for who they are but you get attached to their face their body the way they look you know and um i always used used to uh wonder about that and like what would i how would I handle it what would I do and so it's always been something that's really interested me this idea of somebody looking like myself or looking like somebody that I loved and um, there was actually someone that did a project like this I'm looking at yeah Mariella Sankari she did this project where she put an ad in in the newspaper for men that looked a certain way and were a certain age and she was looking for lookalikes of her father, her dead father She had, she had lost her father years before or I think she lost him when she was younger and so she was always wondering what he would look like If he had become old. If he had gotten to 60 or 70 years old. And um. And this was something that always interested me. Her project was called Moises. Um I guess that maybe was her father's name. And um. It's just. It's so. Interesting to think about isn't it. You know like what would you do. If you actually encountered someone that um that looked like you you know and um and i thought that and she took photographs of the men and they were wearing i think she even put them in her father's clothes as well and um so it's this very interesting eerie sort of photography project that has always sort of obsessed me in a way and so what you have with the double life of is you have something kind of similar, you know, these two women that look alike, and and they feel each other's presence, and they feel this connection to each other that they can't explain. Because all of us, or most of us, have had experiences in our lives that we could not explain. And I'm a very secular person, I'm a very non-religious person, I'm, I consider myself an atheist but i myself have had experiences that i couldn't explain when i had feelings about things and then certain events would take place and um and to go back to the doppelganger i i used to when i was like 8 or 9 i went to church with with my childhood friend and we used to go to church on sundays And there was this old man that used to be there and he would sometimes hold the door open for people and he would hand out gum, like juicy fruit, to the kids. And one day I realized that he looked like my great-grandfather who had died. And my great-grandfather died when I think I was like in first grade, so I was about six or seven years old. And I didn't know him that well, but I did used to visit him in the nursing home where he was staying. And, um, and so I still remember as a child seeing this man who looked like my great-grandfather, my mother's grandfather, and it just freaked me out in a way, and yet it was fascinating. It was like, here is this man who looks like my great-grandfather, and yet these two men have never met, and they don't know each other, but they could have similar lives. So it's, it's that sort of irrational, inexplicable thing that happens and I think that's what Kishlovsky is trying to sort of tap into and explore is are these questions that we can't put into words and it's these feelings that we get and it's beyond empirical data it's beyond science and I think for him to explore those issues especially in the world today I mean I don't think a lot of directors are posing these very mystical, metaphysical, spiritual questions. I mean, the person that comes to mind for me is Terrence Malick, whose film The Tree of Life means a lot to me. And it's one of my favorite films as well. I would say my favorite film, it's, it's a tie, actually, between many films. Between La Ventura, between The Tree of Life, between la jete between the passion of joan of arc and the double life of veronique and some of these films are posing these larger questions i mean you could even say about la Ventura, it's a mysterious film it's a film that is an experience it's a film that is a feeling i think i tweeted that once it's i mean i wouldn't say that's a spiritual film but it's a mysterious film and it's the same way with the double life of veronique is this is a mysterious film and that mystery consumes you these two women and their connection and the way they feel each other and the way they reflect each other it is a mystery that will consume you and um it's a it's a visually stunning film it's probably one of the most beautiful films I've encountered there's this l- this lens that the cinematographer uses that almost turns things green at times this very vibrant green that I have yet to see in any other film it's a poetic dreamy sort of film and if you think about cinema cinema deals with dreams cinema deals with the unconscious cinema deals with I guess fantasy and and what is beyond this world and um, it takes you into the into this place that is outside everyday reality, and I think that's what Kishlovsky does in Veronique. And I think why I needed that film yesterday, especially, was I needed that magic. And there is this gorgeous scene in the film of a marionette, because the French Veronique, she works as a music teacher, and she and this man named Alexander who is a puppeteer he comes to the school and he does this show for the kids about a dancer who dies and she comes and she is resurrected uh, as a butterfly or comes back to life as a butterfly and I didn't know this but Annette Ensdorf in the audio commentary shared that when we see that marionette scene which is a very important scene to me and it's one of the most enchanting things that i've ever come across in my life that's what i love about kushlowski's films especially veronique is that there's a whimsy to it there's this uh, this magic and this whimsical um, beauty to this film and you see that in the marionette scene it's quite enchanting and but it's not the actor who's playing alexander who who is actually doing the marionette scene even though he plays the puppeteer it's actually the puppeteer bruce schwartz who i think was pretty is pretty well known as a puppeteer and so it's actually his hands that you're seeing in the film and um i thought that was like a little interesting tidbit you know like Um, I had no idea, I had no idea that that was Bruce Schwartz, but it is, so, and that is one of the most magnificent scenes in a film ever for me. I still remember watching it and I just remember like, I was like, oh my god, my heart soared. I was like, what is this? I was so enchanted. This whole film just enchants me to no end and um the the depth of this film the genius of this film i just it's all in the details it's all in in just the beauty of this film and and um another thing that insdorf talks about is how veronica and veronique um they both have close relationships to their fathers and Kishlovsky includes this in several of his films most notably in one of the episodes of The Decalogue, and Insdorf says that that actually was probably inspired by his own life because he had a very close relationship to his own daughter. They were very, very close and um and I thought that was like a nice little detail um because I wonder if unconsciously this is something else that I like about the film that it it has this this father daughter relationship in the film and that is a relationship that I no longer have that relationship is gone for me forever because my father's gone and so often I have to sort of vicariously live through these films so I I still struggle when I see a father and daughter together whether it be in a film a TV show or in everyday life it's something that I still struggle with Um, you know it's been 11 years but it's not something that I ever get used to or that I ever accept really Um, I just I really can't bear that he's not alive and I really do struggle with it and um, that's just the reality of my life and something that I have to live with I remember a few years ago I was watching this film this German film called Requiem I don't know the actress's name, but she is the actress who was in Tony Erdman, um, which you might have heard about recently. Um, and she's in this film Requiem. She plays this woman who is having sort of profound psychological issues and thinks thinks that she might be sort of possessed. It's it's not a horror film though. It's it's sort of like Emily the what the Haunting of Emily Rose or something like that. It's a little bit like that in that you know it's she she has something maybe psychologically wrong with her and she doesn't know what's happening to her and she's very scared about it and and i just remember watching this film it was a very powerful film and it's one of those like that sort of fall under the radar but you watch it and you're like and you'll think about it for years later you know what i mean And so there was this scene, and I watched this probably in 2010 or 11, and um, there's this scene where she hugs her father, and I've always remembered it, and I watched this scene and she's just hugging her father, and I like wept, I just wept, you know, it was like years ago, like five or six years ago, and I just cried over this scene of this woman, you know, hugging her father, because that, you know, I don't get to have that anymore, so, that was really hard for me to like even watch so i wonder if maybe i also like this film because of veronique and uh veronika's relationships with their fathers i i i think that could be part of it and i think it's really sweet that kishlovsky was close to her own to his own daughter and we we lost kishlovsky much too early he died in like 1996 in his 50s it's very eerie that he died um from heart issues he had a heart surgery or heart operation that didn't go too well and he died as a result and in the double life of veronique both veronique and Veronika have heart conditions and veronica actually dies because of her heart condition so it's and insdorf talks about this too how eerie it is that you know just a few years later after um, making veronique that, you know, Kishlovsky himself would succumb to heart issues. And I, I wish he was still with us. I really wonder what he would have made. What he would have done. I really think about his genius. And I mm-hmm. wish I could, like, get inside his mind and and see, like, where did these ideas come from? Where did... <laughs> how do you even come up with this? And something that, in, that Annette Insdorf in the audio commentary talked about was... Even though Kishlovsky is considered an alter, you know, where we tend to think of the alter as the artist and he controls everything, and the film is sort of his singular vision, Kishlovsky really enjoyed collaborating with people. Um, Before the film even started, he collaborated, of course, with his co writer, but also with his cinematographer, with um, the. Brilliant, brilliant composer, Schnittknecht Preisner, who did the soundtrack for the Double Life of Veronique, as well as Decalogue, as well as the Three Color Trilogies, the Three Color Trilogy. And so, I didn't know this, but the music in the film was not made after the film was made. It was it, the the music preceded the making of the film, and the music is just gorgeous this gorgeous opera music it feels like it just it feels like this old gorgeous music and it's just perfect and another interesting thing that I learned in the audio commentary um, by Annette Insdorf was that even though Irene Jacob um, learned Polish fluently to play Veronika who lived in Poland she had an accent in her polish and so they did have to dub her they dubbed her singing of course but they also dubbed her dialogue um when she was doing the polish part which i had no idea i mean it's that seamless i had a feeling that wasn't her singing but i thought that the dialogue was her but they but she said that they did dub that so i thought that was sort of interesting and um so this film as i say it's a very magical film it's it's not often that you come across a film like this and i really for me Kishlovsky is everything he is the genius he is like the pinnacle of cinema for me and i don't know how many people agree i mean i know everybody i think everybody has that sort of director soulmate just that soulmate where it's like this director and his films or her films they are everything you may feel it about Agnes Varda you may feel it about Robert Bresson or Ozu or Tarkovsky um Chantal Ackerman you know uh Martin Scorsese you know it's it the list goes on everybody has that one person or Truffaut or Godard where their films are like life to you they're like life-giving and they're your obsession I mean for those of us who are cinephiles right cinemaniacs as I like to say I'm a cinemaniac everybody has that director you know who is it could be Antonioni it could be rosalini you know it could be desica i really love desica could be curastami you know there's there's a wealth out there for you to choose from but when you find that person you feel like some missing part of your life has been put into place and you feel like you feel like this is it you know what i mean because i am a dream i am a dreamer i am a dreamy person i am someone who I am, and I have said this in p- my podcast before. I, films are sort of intuition for me; they're instinctive to me. I feel things. I, I'm very much about feelings, about the personal, about um subjectivity, and and you know things like that. And so I think that's what I love about Kishlovsky's work. And I'm interested in fate and I'm interested in chance and I'm interested in the unseen connections between people. And I'm interested in these things that we feel that we can't express. I'm interested in the unsayable and the inexpressible because I've often talked about this, that when I read a book or when I watch a film or anything else I do in my life, it's like it's an experience it's it's something that I feel and it's like I don't know how to translate those feelings into something that other people can comprehend or can understand you know I I just believe strongly that there are there are things that are maybe irrational or things that um things that you can't put into words you know and things that that you feel that you can't really transmit just like when veronica says you know it's a strange feeling but i feel like i'm not alone in the world she can't put into words what she feels she cannot she can't even begin to comprehend what is going on outside of her and it's the same with veronique when she feels that veron that veronica has died she she can't even talk about it, she just can only say, I feel this sense of grieving, I feel this grief in me, and I don't know why, you know, and, and so Kishlovsky, he, he engages with these very big, unanswerable, massive questions about humanity, about existence, um, about emotion and feeling and uh, the spiritual and the metaphysical and that appeals to me those are things that i myself am interested in and um and so for me he is that director that is really a touchstone and is really um just uh, he's the one you know what i mean he is the one and um I hope to read more about him and learn more about him and and um I'd love to read Annette Instor in en- Insdorf's book and there's like several books that I've put on my Amazon wish list now that I would like to get eventually because I really do want to know more about the way his mind worked and I would just I just wanna know more about him and about these films because I can't even put into words these films and the way they make me feel and it really, it really is just when you come in contact with something like this, when when you have this experience with a director, with a film that is unlike anything you've ever had. And I would say The Passion of Joan of Arc was a similar experience by Carl Theodore Dreyer. That seeing that film, seeing Maria Falconetti's face, I mean it still haunts me. I still just think about it and it's like part of me, you know. What's fascinating about cinema, about these films, is the way these images and these stories become part of you. How you can look at something and it'll remind you of something from a film like when it snows i think of jonathan glazer's film birth which i'd like to do a podcast about eventually if you've seen birth then you know what i'm talking about when i see a donkey i think of uh bresson's um balthazar you know I, i think of these things so you know, when I see a sugar cube, I think of Kishlovsky in Three Colors Blue. When there's this amazing scene, where Juliette Binoche puts a sugar cube in her coffee or her tea, and it soaks up that liquid, and it's just—it makes you gasp. You're like, oh, you know. And um. And there are all, there are all these little details in in the Double Life of Veronique too. There's there's these images of, of light a lot and um there's like this tea bag in in a glass of water and there's these moments when um, uh, Veronica especially, just moments of ecstasy that she has where she's outside singing and all of a sudden it starts to rain and she just is smiling and she just keeps smiling and then there's this other scene where she bounces this i guess this rubber ball or something and all of a sudden there's this gold dust that comes out of nowhere and she like tilts her head back and smiles like in this moment of ecstasy and then later on Veronique in France is just walking down the street and there's this light this shaft of light and she puts her face into it and it's like it's It's these little details of ordinary life that are really um, imbued with so much meaning and beauty. And, um, Ensdorf talks about that too in her commentary. You know, how he infuses these small details, these small moments, with immense meaning. And and they become so profound. And and so the film, the film just feels like a dream you feel like you're entering this dream when you watch it and you don't want to leave i didn't want to leave i didn't want it to end i was so sad when it ended and it was interesting though that Ensdorf in the commentary said that kishlowski actually hated filming he hated filming the film he liked collaborating he liked working with other people and he liked editing. He really loved the editing process. And so actually having to make the film, you know, was actually quite I guess tre- um difficult for him and he didn't enjoy it at all. And uh he really preferred editing, so but whatever he did, and you know, the way he made these films come together and and um insdorf also said that he wanted like uh like when it was going to premiere in france it was going to be like in 17 different theaters and he wanted a different ending for every theater i mean how i mean i just i just smiled at that because i just thought that's so playful that's so whimsical to even want to do that you know to even want to have a different ending for every theater that it premiered in france and um and she said he edited the film like dozens of times. There were there were different versions, you know, of the film. And he kept changing them and re reimagining it, you know, and before he finally agreed, you know, on the on the version that we have now. So it it's just I loved that audio commentary. Like it was so enriching to watch the film with all this these added tidbits and there's so many more that I can't even you know remember I mean she it just really brought the film together for me and I noticed things that I had overlooked you know that I hadn't really thought about and so again I Kishlovsky's films they exist on this plane of feeling and emotion and the irrational and the um the spiritual and the metaphysical And um, he doesn't offer answers to these questions of identity and chance and connection. But to me, at the end of the day, it is about connection. That's what his films for me are about. And this is something that's very important to my own life, is how do we connect with other people? What are the unseen ways that we connect? And I think that's interesting with the internet. That when we put out our words, when I put out these podcasts, you know, when I share my voice, when I share my feelings, I don't know the ways in which I may affect someone else. And, and the reverse is true. That other people who put, who put things out on the internet or share their feelings or their thoughts or their writing or their art, they have no idea the way they may impact me or how they may affect my life. And so I think in the internet age it's even more interesting and Kishlovsky explored some of this in his own work. He was very much interested in technology. In the Double Life of Veronique she has um she has headphones and she has a stereo and and in The Decalogue in The Decalogue one um there's a computer. He was interested in the way that technology impacts and changes our lives. And I think if you're going to talk about connection then you can't not talk about social media and the internet and its potential to create those forms of connection. And so I think that in the end is what compels me so much about his work. Not just the dreaminess and the genius and um, and everything that I've mentioned which is all important. But he's really interested in how people are connected to one another. And how you could feel connected without even knowing why. Like with Veronique and Veronique, they feel each other. They feel the presence of each other. And think about that even in the digital age now where you may connect to someone online. And you may never meet them in your real life. But you may send emails or you may um, follow them and you may love their work. And you can be connected without even realizing how that is or where that connection comes from. And so Veronika and Veronique, they sense each other. It's on that, that, that irrational intuitive plane, that place of gut and intuition and feeling. And that's something that I deeply believe in. And um, and yet they they feel so connected to each other, and they don't understand why, you know. So there's all these unseen threads, these unseen cords, that um that connect us to other to to one another. And I always feel like Kishlovsky's subject is really humanity, and it really is, you know. How we how we connect or don't connect or or you know it's things that we can't put into words i don't know I he just created sort of a singular body of work i think and and um... i never i never get tired of watching his films there's always a new revelation there's always something that i missed before something that i didn't see and so his films are just you're forever discovering them you're forever um um they they're always giving you new revelations and new discoveries and i think they age well i think they age very well and i think that they certainly have a, a resonance in the modern world and so i love his work so much <laughs> as you can tell and I wanted in this podcast to try to explain it like why is this film so important why is it my favorite why is he so important to me you know I will never meet this man you know I will I mean I envy anyone that actually came in contact with him I'll never know him he died many years before I ever saw one of his films and yet he has had a major impact on me and he he has helped me so much and his films are a lifeline. They're a form of salvation. They awaken me, you know, and I find myself thinking about them a lot and I just, I just love him. I really do. So glad I rewatched the film yesterday and and I have a lot that I'm dealing with, a lot that I struggle with and a lot, a lot of suffering, a lot of, you know, grief, and all these things, and, but then I'm also grateful that I can have moments of, you know, peace, of revelation, of beauty, and that's what his films really bring me, you know, is, are those moments of, of peace, and, um, awakening, and I'm just, really forever um... really forever grateful for that honestly so I'm gonna stop here I think I have talked about everything I can think of to talk about about this film but if you're able to see it I definitely recommend it and um... I can only hope that it moves you and affects you the way that it did me and um... Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching films. Um, Keep, you know, discovering new movies and directors. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for listening and thanks for the support. And I really appreciate it. And I will stop here. Bye.